Good morning. <laughs> that ended fast, eh? <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Good? Very good. Um, today, uh, we're going to talk about um, the process of transformation. Um, you see, um, the call that we have from our Lord Jesus Christ is to make disciples of all nations, uh, of all people that is around us. Uh, and, and that means that our, our job as a church is to make sure that uh, first of all, you get to know Jesus really well in a personal level. But second, that you grow more and more like him, which means that there is real change in your life, that you are transformed in his image. See, uh, as a church, we do a lot of things. You know, we do a lot of events, a lot of campaigns, a lot of studies, a lot of different things. Um, but everything that we do is with that aim in mind. See, the, the purpose of the church is not just to grow in number or to build buildings or to have programs, but to, you know, make disciples of Jesus Christ. His, his, his job, you know, God's business is to save and change lives for His glory. But today I want to talk to you about the process that He uses to produce that change. Because, see, um, we need to understand that uh, every change is a process. That means it's a series of events that at the end produce some change in, in anything, a life, a family, you know, a, an organization. But if you understand how that happens, then a lot of things that are going to happen in your life are going to make sense. But if you don't understand that, then life is going to be very frustrating because you're going to be asking a lot of why. Why is this happening, okay? So today we're gonna to talk about that process so that we can understand how it happens. Um, I, I would like to pray for us before we start, so if you would pray with me. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much that we are here with this amazing family of yours here in Texas. Uh, I love you, Lord, and I, and, and I know, Father, that you have things for each one of us today. I know there's someone in this room that needs to hear you know, part of this that we're going to share. So please, Father, uh, open our hearts, help us see ourselves the way you see us, and help us to be honest with ourselves and see us for what we are right now so that you may work in us and transform us. We place ourselves completely in your hands, in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, you see, there are four phases that cause real change in a person's life. And, and, and I'll be the first to admit that we could spend like a whole sermon on each one of these phases, but what I want you to understand today is just the process that he uses. See, there is a rare person that um, immediately starts grabbing onto the Bible, reading, seeing certain things, and start changing. But for most of us, see, change doesn't happen like that. And what I have noticed, uh, you know, uh, all these years working with the people at church is that there is a large number of people in church that come to church every weekend, but there's really not much change in their life. They keep living life the same way as they were before. Uh, and, and, and that group, we can divide in, in two groups. See, there, there's a group of people that, that they think, 
well, you know, my life is good. I'm a good person. You know, I'm, I'm living okay. Things are all right. So there's, I don't see why I need to change anything. See, these people think I have life under control. You know, there, there's nothing I need to change. And then there's other people who, uh, who are not living life the right way. They're actually having a mess in their lives, but they refuse to admit their mistakes. So if, since life is bad but bearable, you know, they, they don't see a need to really change that much. And this is why, see, the first phase that needs to happen in, in both of those people, it's uh, the number one in your program, it's a crisis. See, we are going to face a crisis. It might be a, a, a health-related crisis. It might be a financial problem. It might be a relational problem, maybe some addiction that really gets out of control and gets you into a mess. But see, you have to see it this way. If you're going through a crisis right now, it means God is preparing you for real change. The truth is, none of us likes uh, to go through crisis. We see them as, as something negative, However, experience teaches us that every change, every real change in most of the people is produced by a crisis. But here is the thing that you need to be aware of over everything else. See, if you are in the middle of a crisis, uh, uh, the, your main struggle is not with what you think you're struggling. See, your main struggle is not financial, it's not uh, physical, it's not relational. Your main struggle, says your program, is with God. See, you're struggling against God. You're battling against God because the, the, our main problem is that we want to be God. See, we, we want to be in control of situations. See, and, and I want you to see this very clearly. So we're going to study a passage that comes from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 32. See, um, I, I tell our people in Cancun that one of the ways that you can understand uh, the Old Testament is if you see it as, see, we have the practical teachings of behavior in the New Testament, and we see it portrayed in the stories of the people of the Old Testament. And this is one of these examples. See, we're going to see in Genesis 32 uh, how God used this process that we're going to see in the life of Jacob. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of context to understand what Jacob is about to face. Okay, um, the people of Israel uh, started when God called Abraham to the promised land. Uh, he obeyed, he went to the promised land, and Abraham had uh, the son of the promise, which was Isaac. And then Isaac got married and, uh, with his wife, Rebecca, who couldn't have babies for a while. And then after prayer, she got pregnant, okay? And, and she got pregnant, and while she was pregnant, she started noticing that there was a fight going on in her stomach, you know, in her womb. And, and they go on to pray to God, and he said, yes, there's two nations inside of you. She had twin boys. Huh? But when she gave birth to these boys, the first one that came out was the older son, Esau. But Jacob, who was the second son, was holding on to his heel, was trying to pull him back in. He was trying to get out first, okay? So, so he was struggling, you know, fighting, even before he was born. He was already in the womb there fighting with Esau, okay? So then they were born, and Esau was an outdoors man, says the Bible, so he was the father's favorite, Isaac's favorite. But Jacob was an indoors man. He always stayed by the tent, so he was his mother's favorite. Okay, uh, Esau was the firstborn, so he was going to be the one that inherited everything and be in charge of the family, but the mother didn't want that. He wanted Jacob to be the one. So when the father started getting old and he started getting like kind of blind, uh, he, he says to his son Esau, okay, go hunt this animal, cook it in the way that I like, because I'm about to give you my blessing. 
In those days, those blessings became prophecies that were fulfilled by God. So Esau went out hunting, you know, and, and the mother heard this, and she goes to Jacob and says, okay, I'm going to cook this animal real fast the way that your father loves it, and you cover yourself with the skin of an animal. Esau was a very hairy man, and Jacob was not. So he comes and deceives his father, tells him he's Esau, and the father blesses him and says, you're going to be the head of this family. All your family members are going to bow to you. There's a blessing. And the moment that he finishes and Jacob walks out, Esau comes back with his food. He says, I'm here, Father. Bless me now. So Isaac says, like, who was the dude that I just blessed then? Because I just blessed you. He's like, no, no, no. It wasn't me. So then they realize what happened. You know, and, and Esau gets very angry. He says, Lord, don't you have a blessing for me? And he says, no, I already blessed him. And blessed he will be. So Esau promises that the moment his father dies, he's going to kill his brother. And Isaac was already very old. So the mother, Rebecca, says to Jacob, you need to run away. And she sends him to his brother, Laban, about 400 miles away from their home. So Jacob goes on you know, with Laban, and he falls in love with a, with a girl called um, Rachel, who was the daughter of Laban, but she was the second daughter. So he asked Laban if he would marry her, if he can marry her, and he says, yeah, you need to work for seven years for me, and I'll give you her hand. And he works for seven years, and then he tricks him and marries him to the older sister, Leah, who he doesn't love. And Laban says, well, yeah, I wasn't going to marry the, the young one first. So if you want to marry Rachel, then you have to work for another seven years. So he works for another seven years, and then he marries Rachel, and then he stays for six years more there. So he's been away for 20 years. And then God says to him, all right, go back home. He figures after 20 years, Esau's anger would probably have come down. So he obeys God, and he goes back. And when he's close to home, he sends a messenger telling them that he's about to arrive. He says, check what Esau does, you know, if he gets angry or not. And he comes back and says, like, Esau is coming to see you, and he's coming with 400 men. So he's like, oh, that doesn't sound very good, you know. <laughs> Why is he coming with an army to receive me, you know? So, so, so he comes up with a plan, and he says, okay. First of all, he starts sending messengers with lots of gifts for Esau. And what they had to say when they found him was like, your servant Jacob sends these presents. And he keeps sending animals and presents and stuff. And then, very bravely, he sends in front his wives. Go, you go first. You know, show him the kids, you know. Show him pictures and stuff, you know. Try to calm him down. But, but he stays behind. And he stays by himself in the camp, all alone. And then he becomes very spiritual and starts praying. And he prays, God, please change Esau's heart. Calm him down. But what's going to happen is that he's going to have a very interesting wrestling match against God. And here's where we pick up the story in Genesis 32, verse 24. And this is what happens. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn uh, began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. See, uh, Jacob has this encounter with God, and he has to wrestle against him all night long. Now, there are some people that want to argue whether if that was God or not. Later on in this same chapter, it's going to tell us that it is. But see, the good thing that you have to always remember is the Bible always testifies about the Bible. If we go to the book of Hosea, in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, you can read it on the screen. Look at what it says. It says, even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with 
God. So there we have it. Jacob had been struggling even before he was born with his brother in the womb. During his life, he battled with a lot of things, but he refused to accept that his main battle was with God. He was fighting with God. And I'm going to tell you what that means for us. Uh, try to think of your, your biggest struggle right now. What is the biggest thing that you're struggling against? See, it's going to come down to two things. Are you going to obey God in that circumstance that you're facing? Because if you go to God in the middle of whatever circumstance you're facing, He's going to lead you in a certain way. And the question is, are you going to obey God? Are you going to follow what you already know He said in His Word during this circumstance? And the other one is, are you going to trust that God is going to handle the circumstance? That he is the one that can handle everything that you face. See, uh, our biggest problem is not really the problem. The root of all our problem is that we are struggling with God. We want to be God. We want to lead our own lives. And see, th th this struggle is kind of like um, Olympic wrestling matches. Have, have you seen Olympic wrestling? See, what is the objective uh, of, of a wrestling match? To try to gain control over the other one. To pin him down to the floor, you know, until they signal, I surrender. And that's the match. You're trying to gain control over God, or are you going to allow God to take control of you? See, many of us have been wrestling against God all our lives. We don't trust. We don't obey. So this is when God allows a crisis to happen in our lives. He needs to call our attention. And, and you may say, well, why would he do that? You don't know how painful this crisis is. Why, why is he allowing this crisis to happen? Well, here's the thing. See, God loves you so much that he refuses to leave you the way you are right now. And he knows that you need to go through these things in order to fulfill your potential. And this is why he allows this crisis to happen, okay? So when you are in the middle of a crisis, you need to then move to phase two. See, phase two, it says perseverance. So you have to, to persevere. That means uh, see, this is the part when you make the commitment to keep going, holding on to God until things get better. You have to say, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to keep trusting and obeying until things change. Look at what happened with Jacob in verse 26. It says, Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, Jacob didn't know at that moment who was he wrestling against, but he could tell that it was somebody much more powerful than himself. He probably even noticed that the guy was almost playing with him, allowing him to think that he could win. So he says to him, uh, I am not going to let go of you until you bless me. See, you have to see these things for what they really are. Uh, do you realize that God could have ended this fight at any minute? At any time, he could have just, you know, grab him and win the battle. But he allows it to go all night long. To, to, to us, that's an analogy of God allowing a crisis to go for a long time. So why would he do that? Well, here is the lesson of this point. It says, when we commit to keep going in a crisis, it becomes possible to grow. See, when we commit to keep going, trusting and obeying, you know, following what God says for us to do, 
You know, that's when we really grow. And see, the thing is, grow is what we need. We need to change, but that's not necessarily what we want. See, most of the people, when they go to God, they don't go asking, Father, please change me, please change me. What they go asking is, please change my circumstances. Please change the other person. Jacob is asking, please change Esau's heart. See, a lot of husbands come to talk to me because they're having problems in their prayers. always, Father, please change my wife. You know, make her behave the way I want her to behave. And wives do the same thing. You know, I preach a lot of sermons about husbands and the husbands are not present. And the wife comes like, if only my husband had been here. You know, it's always the other person that needs to change. See, so, so, so the truth of the matter is, see, we want God to do things for us instead of in us. When what we need is to change. See, we have often said to you that God is a lot more concerned with your character than with your comfort. He wants you to grow. Now, he lets it go for a long time. Uh, can you imagine what would happen if God always solved all our problems fast, the moment that we go pray, boom, they would fix? So imagine, for example, that you get into a financial mess. You know, you, you, you're up to your neck with, with financial problems and you go to God and say, God, please bail me out. Uh, first of all, you have to understand, you didn't get into that mess in a supernatural way, right? I mean, you didn't wake up one day and was like, what? I'm in debt? How did that happen? You know, no. You worked hard, you know, to get into that mess. You made bad decisions. You probably spent more than you earned. You know, you realize that money is not happiness, so you tried it with the credit cards to see if that would be happiness, and you started spending, and then all of a sudden, you, your income doesn't even cover your payments you didn't save before, and you go to him and say, bail me out. See, if God in that instant waved the magic wand and you woke up the next morning like, whoa, no debt, you know, I don't have any problems anymore, you know what you would do? You would go right back into the mess because you're still the same. You're going to make the same decisions. You haven't changed a bit. But if he gives you the strength to persevere and you trust and obey and you start seeing yourself in the Bible as you study it, you know, then transformation happens. So, so you have to persevere. You have to trust. You have to obey. See, many people miss the great blessings of God because they give up too soon. They start a little bit and they say, okay, right. And then they're like, no, this is not going to work. And they quit before the blessings come. See, this is what Paul meant in Galatians 6, 9. Look at what he says. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. You know, that word can be translated what is right, what is correct. It says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So are you in the middle of a crisis right now? You need to endure. You need to persevere by obeying God, by trusting God. Do not run away from the circumstance or situation. Face the situation with God. See, uh, the problems that you have in your life did not start all of a sudden. You probably have been for years with the same patterns of behavior, with your habits, with, with the ways that you respond and treat people around you. And this is why sometimes it takes God years for you to allow him to work inside of you. And you see, this is why the church is so important. You need to be doing life together with a group of people that are going in the same direction that you are going. 
You need to be surrounded by friends. You need to find mentors. You need to find spiritual partners, people that you're going to open your heart and, and, and share things so that they will hold you accountable. See, this is crucial because our growth has to do a lot with the next phase, which, you know, phase two and three actually usually intermingle. But this is what happened in Jacob's story. So we're going to, number three is confession. See, uh, this is the part of the process when you recognize the problem. And you know what you do? You acknowledge, I am the problem. You are your biggest problem. I am my biggest problem. And until you don't reach this phase, there won't be real change in your life. Because until then, you, you're not going to be able to blame anyone else the moment you recognize that it is you that is causing the problem. See, so look at what happens next. Uh, verse 27 says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Have you read this passage before? Did you ever wonder why did he ask him his name? I mean, can it be that you go to God and God says, like, what did you say your name was? Who, who are you? You know, like, doesn't he know exactly who he's with? Who's he wrestling with? Didn't he pick that precise instant to go and confront him? God knows exactly who he is, but what he's asking is not his name. He's asking him to recognize the type of person that he is. See, in biblical times, uh, the name that they gave people was a description of their character. See, Jacob, if you read the story from the beginning, uh, was named Jacob because he was trying to supplant Esau. So they named him supplanter, deceiver. See, and if you see Jacob's life, that's exactly what he was. He lied to his father. He stole the inheritance of his brother. He tries to trick his father-in-law, but the father-in-law outmaneuvers him, you know, but he's trying to deceive everyone. So, so I mean, just, just think of it this way. Can you imagine how would it be today if people named us by our character? Can you imagine? What would be your nickname? <laughs> he comes gluten, hide the foot, you know, like, you know, or I'm lazy, nice to meet you. <laughs> like greedy. <laughs> you know, like, what would be your, your nickname? You know, what would they call you? So, so see, when Jacob is saying, yes, I'm Jacob, He's recognizing, yes, I'm the supplanter. He's acknowledging, he's confessing who he is. See, and, and here's the lesson uh, on this point. See, it says, I will never be able to change until I honestly admit my sin. See, if, if, if you don't admit any wrongdoing, what is there to change? You don't have anything to change in your life if you are not willing to admit it. Now, here is the hard part. You have to confess it to God, but you also have to confess it to a person that you trust. This is why it's important that you do life together with other people and that you find preferably people that are a little bit farther ahead of you in the spiritual path so that they can become your spiritual partner, so they will confront you, so they will help you through this change. It's not hard for us to confess to God, right? I mean, he already knows. But what about other people? That's really hard. You know why? Because of our pride. We don't want people to see us as weak. We don't want them to see the darkness in our hearts. But there are two problems with that. If you don't acknowledge who you are and open it up to other people, 
you can never be yourself. If you're ashamed of who you are, what you'll do is you'll put on a mask and you'll show everyone this mask and then you're going to feel so empty inside of you because you know that these people are relating to the mask, not to you. You'll find people that will fall in love with the mask but not with you and you know it inside of you. So you become a slave to the mask. But the other problem is that you're still fighting against God. See, the problem with that way of acting is that we're being proud. And look what the Bible says about pride. First Peter 5.5 5 says, God opposes the proud. That means he's clashing against the proud. You're fighting with him. So, but, it says, gives grace to the humble. And grace is the power to change. That's what really changes you. See, so I wanted to give you a chance to humble yourself before God and then eventually to others. I put a blank space in your program that says, I am blank. That's not going to be filled in the screen. You have to fill it yourself. Who are you? What kind of person are you? See, the, the sad thing is, this part is the hardest part. A lot of people run away from the church at this part. We have a program in Cancun uh, called Celebrate Recovery, which is an eight-step program to help people to get rid of a lot of hang-ups in their lives. And when you get to step four, you will write an inventory of everything <clears throat> you've done in your life. But in step five, you have to confess it to a mentor. Between step four and five, most people run away. That's when the ministry shrinks, you know, because we don't want to confess to other people. And that's a tragedy. You know why? Because that's the hardest part. That means after that, the rest is downhill. The rest is easier. But first you have to confess. When you're hiding your sin, it has a grip on you that enslaves you. But when you start talking about it, it loosens up. And then comes phase number four, transformation. That's when change truly happened, when God can change you. When you go through the first three, then God can work inside of you and change you. Look at the loving response from God after Jacob's confession. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. That's when he realizes that he was in front of God. He says, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. See, finally transformation arrives. And I want you to notice three things that happen in this passage. Letter A says, God gives him a new identity. See, he is helping him see himself under a different light. He says, you're no longer Jacob. You're no longer the supplanter. From now on, your name is Israel. See, the, the people of Israel are named like that because of this change. Israel can be translated in more than one way, but one of the ways is prince with God. So you see what God is telling him? I see everything in your past. I see everything that you have done, but I can also see the prince that I made in you. And that's what God wants to say to all of us. 
I see the princess that I made. I see the prince that I made in you. I know that you have a passage. You've done all kinds of things. But I see in you the potential that I put in there. You are a prince. You are a princess. So first thing he does is gives him a new identity. Then God gives him his blessing. Did you notice that it says, and right then and there, he blesses him. See, when we're fighting against God, we deprive ourselves of so many blessings. Because you're not letting him. You're trying to control everything, so you're not allowing him to bless you. But, but you know what is even the, 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 the most amazing thing? It's like when you finally give in, you know, when you surrender, when you give him your life and allow him to lead, all of a sudden you realize the amount of things around you that you had not noticed, but they were blessings from God. So all of a sudden you start seeing all these blessings. Okay, so he blesses him. And last, God keeps him a reminder of the experience. See, God doesn't want Jacob to ever forget what happened there. So Jacob is going to leave that place with a reminder that will go with him for the rest of his life. Look at verse 31. It says, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Remember, during the struggle, it says that he wrenched Jacob's hip out of his socket. See, Jacob was going to limp for the rest of his life, which means he never walked the same way again. See, for Jacob, what that meant was two things. First of all, he had no choice but to break the bad habit of running away from all his problems, which is what he had done all his life. Every time that he was confronted with a crisis, what he did is run away. He couldn't do it anymore. Literally, he had to stay and face it. But second, he learned to depend completely on God. See, when you truly have an encounter with God, you never walk the same way again. And this is why the objective of the church is transformed lives. See, whoever says, I am a Christian, but nothing has changed in their lives, they haven't really had an encounter with God. Because when you have one of those, you change. And you never walk the same. We have today for you a, a testimony. Uh, you're going to see a video with the story of uh, two people from Cancun. Their names are Emilio and Jenny Brito. Emilio is our executive pastor and youth pastor. Jenny handles all you know, event coordination. She runs the cafeteria. But they came to us, to the church, when they were young. You know, I baptized them. I married them. And they had gone through things that will show you how this is still happening today. Look at this video. Mi niñez fue eh, difícil. Eh, mis padres llegaron aquí eh, sin nada, como que buscando el sueño. Mis papás trabajaban mucho, entonces pasaba mucho tiempo sola. Eh, a la edad como de siete años, algo así, eh, eh, desarrollaron la adicción del alcoholismo, los dos. Llegó un momento en que mi mamá no podía controlar su forma de tomar, entonces, pues, ella quedaba en cama tres, cuatro días. Yo soñaba o me imaginaba o 
veía, no, no sé, la verdad, estaba yo muy chiquita, tenía como nueve años, que estaba yo en un columpio, me estaba columpiando y al lado del columpio había otro, no había nadie. Y, y bajaba un ángel del cielo y se sentaba ahí y, y, y me decía, todo va a estar bien, todo va a estar bien, no te preocupes. No estás sola, ¿no? Un día tú vas a tener una familia muy hermosa y todo esto va a pasar y tú vas a estar bien. Regreso a Cancún y me topo con que resultaba que mi papá ya no estaba. La verdad era una vida de total libertinaje sin freno, sin freno. Y una amiga con la que crecí, mi única amiga de la infancia, eh, me dijo que su mamá le estaba mandando a un retiro, a un encuentro cristiano. Nos metimos ahí tres días. Y si yo creí que había llorado en mi vida, esos tres días <risa> lloré mucho más. Y ahí fue donde conocí a Cristo. Eh, Fui a decir todos mis pecados, confesé todos mis pecados y, y Dios realmente me dio una paz in, in, inimaginable, una paz que yo nunca había conocido, ¿no? Este, pasaron un año, dos años y entré a trabajar. Ya ha sido para mí, para mi familia. verdadero Jesús sí. que gente confiara en mí que tuvieran fe en mí y que y hubo uno en particular que, que me quebró por dentro fue el momento más difícil para mí como hombre y uno el cual Nunca pensé que iba a estar ni iba a vivir. Mi esposa y yo teníamos un problema en nuestro matrimonio muy severo y muy doloroso para mí. Y yo tenía que tomar una decisión. La decisión era seguir adelante en nuestro matrimonio o terminar con él. Y estábamos en la terraza de nuestra casa después de un par de días de peleas, llantos y de sacar las maletas de mi cajuela una y otra vez sin saber si me quedaba o me iba. Y estábamos en esa terraza definiendo nuestro futuro. Mi corazón, mis deseos. Emilio quería salir corriendo y dejar todo atrás. Pero tiempo atrás, la iglesia, de una misteriosa razón, nos había empujado a, a dibujar Josué 1.9 en la terraza de nuestra casa. Sé fuerte y valiente. No tengas miedo. Yo aquí estoy. Volté a ver Josué 1.9 
Y le agarré la mano a Jennifer y le dije, nada ni nadie va a romper nuestro matrimonio, porque nuestro matrimonio lo ha unido Dios. Y vamos a pelear con todo lo que tenemos por él. Yo creo que Dios sí hace milagros. Y después de muchos años, después de casada y todo, creo que diciendo mi testimonio o algo así, me acordé de esa promesa que me había dado Dios. Él me dijo, cuando me dijo en ese columpio que un día todo iba a estar bien. Y yo creo que hoy por hoy, yo creo que mi vida es un milagro. Yo creo que nunca en la vida me imaginé tener un esposo como el que tengo. Y por supuesto, nunca me imaginé tener hijos tan maravillosos como los tengo. Y, y yo me siento que vivo en, en el paraíso literal. Yo siento que mi casa, mi hogar y mi familia es un, es un paraíso. Y yo sé que a veces las cosas no van a estar bien, pero sé que Dios siempre está conmigo. Y yo creo que ninguna tormenta puede llegar a mover esto que yo siento, que siento que vivo un milagro. Just like thousands of years ago, God is still working. He's still performing miracles in the middle of our crisis. And if you just trust Him, if you obey Him, see, He'll do His most profound work, which is to help you see yourself in a different light. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature. And this is what He wants you to see so they can truly live the way that you were supposed to live. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much that you explain to us in your Bible that even if circumstances happen around us that are painful and we don't understand them, that you are here, that you are working in us and you are transforming our hearts as we allow you to. I pray, Father, for every person that is hearing these words, that we will open our hearts to you and allow you to do your job in us. We ask you this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>